every Arizona homeowner's best friend, and it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house, your weekend wake-up tradition. Living is the life for me. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock. It's Rosie on the house, your outdoor living hour. And if you're following along in our home maintenance calendar, uh, you know that we've kind of been off all month long, uh, just mm-hmm. recovering from uh, a little oversight that last Christmas was on a Saturday. So we're getting all of our topics caught up here after missing a Saturday. And we're actually switching what was scheduled for February uh, and January. January, we're reversing them. We were we have it in our calendar that it was going to be Backyard Livestock. We're going to move that one to February. But we've got Farmer Greg in here talking deciduous fruit trees. Farmer Greg, welcome to the broadcast. How are you thank this you, Saturday you. morning? Awesome. Always great to hang out with you for an hour. It's a and and January's just been such a great month. The weather's been fabulous, oh right? Uh, a couple cloudy days here and there, but for the most part, man, just clear blue skies and great weather. Well, and it January often teases us into this lull of okay, we're going to have seventies, and then February gets cold again. So, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> just maybe. It might get cold again. I Although the past mind. couple of years, right? Exactly. The past couple of years, it hasn't. So we'll see. We'll see. But this is a great time to uh, work on your urban orcharding. Mm-hmm. So urban orcharding, planting fruit trees. My favorite thing to plant is a fruit tree. Why? Because you plant it once, you give it a little fertilizer, you give it a lot of water, and it'll make fruit for you for 20, 30, 50, 100 years. I have an Arizona sweet orange in the backyard here at the urban farm that was planted in the 1920s. Still producing. Still producing. Reliably every year. Almost 100 years old. Or I guess depending on what time in the 20s. In the 20s, exactly. But uh, the reason I know that is because when I moved into the neighborhood 32 years ago, there was this guy named Wes. And he was ancient then. He was probably 90 when I moved onto the street. He actually grew up in this neighborhood. And he gave me a little bit of uh, history because I live in what used to be an old citrus orchard. And he knew the history of the area and the planting. And that tree through development had been you know, spared. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In fact, when I moved in 32 years ago, we had about 10 of the old citrus trees and they've since aged out, but uh, two of them still exist out in the back and Arizona sweets are great for juicing. And that I'm with you that, you know, it's, it's something you plant and you're done. I don't mind working. I don't mind gardening. I don't mind, Mm -hmm. you know, being out there in the soil, but I also don't mind watering the tree and just letting it produce. I mean, they take very little effort. Right. And you know, that, that really nurtures the lazy gardener in me. And and just they can yield so much. Oh, my gosh. I, you know, the joke around here used to be um, one of these days I'm going to get enough oranges. I love oranges. I'll eat three to five a day. I'm going to get enough oranges here in the next year or two that I can share some with my mom. <laughs> and And I have like. 
15 naval or naval-like oranges on the property here because I love them so much. Well, about two years ago, that shifted to, okay, now I can share some with my mom and the neighbors and you guys down at the station and everybody else that wants them because they are so incredibly, incredibly prolific. And citrus in particular over any other type of, of other fruit, they will stay on the tree ripe for so long. It's not like yeah. you, peaches where you have to be ready to harvest and can quick. Yeah. And and that rind on the outside, very little things mess with it. Uh, you know, exactly. Birds will eat the peaches before you can get to them if you're not careful. But they, you know, citrus hardly get messed with. And every now right. and then you find something that has, but uh, they just it's stay there, often. ripe, ready. You, you pick yeah. and graze as you go. And we love to go out and pick a random assortment from our orchard and squeeze it and it's a it'll it, every drink is different. It might have pink lady, app, uh, grapefruit with some orange in this one, and a little bit of lime oh, and a lot, nice. lemon, just depending on what. And it really, it's it's really a nice way to enjoy a citrus drink. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. A lot of times, you know, one one brand of citrus could be too strong by itself. You mix a couple of them together, and it kind of just balances itself out nicely. I'm sitting over here thinking, uh, Greg. I have never mixed them like that. What a you, great idea. 30 years at that farm and you never thought about that? <laughs> I, I guess wow. not. I guess not. When you're right about citrus, they so we usually start getting navel oranges, pink navel and car car, or I'm sorry, pink navel, which are car cars, and Washington navels about the end of November. And we get them on the tree November, December into January. We get Trovitas in January, February, into March. And we get Arizona Sweets and Mineola Tangelos January, February, March, April. Uh, you know, the Arizona Sweets can stay on the tree until June. And so you've so, got it almost a complete year. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. And that's what we're here doing today is helping you get that lined out for your uh, home castle or cabin. And you don't need a lot of space. You know, you, you, you hear Farmer Greg talk and you think, man, this guy must have a monster property. But this is uh, a third of an acre. Third of an acre, 80 feet wide by 160 feet deep. Uh, and I counted them recently. I have 71 producing fruit trees on the property on a, on a third of an acre, 80 feet wide. 160 feet deep. And what I do is I use the front yard and backyard, the edges. So along the street, I have a full hedge of citrus that run along the street. And that's, I think that's about 10 citrus trees. So I have street, berm, citrus hedge, my front yard. So it's a privacy wall and it makes food. Um, and yeah, so lots and lots of fruit. So we actually get fruit about nine months a year. It's really hard in July, August, September, but starting in October all the way through June, we get an amazing amount of fruit here. And what's that date again? Is it July 10th when everything should just be off the tree because it's going to cook, right? That's yeah, give or take. And, yeah. And actually over the last couple of years, I've said July 1st because, ah. you know, the uh, 2019, 2020 were our hottest summers ever on record. And so, you know, that just has a tendency to cook things on the trees. So we've got 71 fruit trees. You've got a nice privacy wall up front, which is very nice. You know, it's not mm -hmm. that you've run a really busy street, but it is when all the other homes, I mean, you've got a perfect 
privacy screen. I mean, it did. It's a very nice little setting. You've got your front yard. Um, talk about how you trim them to keep them that size. Perfect. Um, we teach people through our program. You can find out about it at fruittrees.org. We teach people through our program how to keep trees small through pruning and management of the size. The reason we do that is because a peach tree that's 30 feet tall, the fruit on the top of the peach tree is bird food. So really what we're after is figuring out how to keep the trees small, again, through pruning, not through dwarf fruit stock. That's a really important thing. I'm often asked, how do I get a dwarf tree? And the thing about dwarf trees is that the dwarfing rootstocks generally don't like the desert soil. So we have to go with semi-dwarfs or standard trees and then keep them pruned so that they're small. That way they're easy to harvest. And there's this other concept that I like to teach about called successive ripening. And that's especially good with like peaches because we can actually start harvesting peaches about mid-May all the way to the end of June, depending on the variety. And Romy, you were right saying we've got two weeks when a peach tree is coming ripe. So our desert gold peach, usually around May 10th, 11th, 12th, it starts ripening. We have about two weeks to get that fruit off of there. And then there's uh, the tropic snow peach or the Swazi swirl peach that kind of arrives in the middle so by the end of May, those varieties are starting to ripen. And then they'll ripen and stay on the tree until about mid-June. And then about that time, we get a really nice, this is a, a harder peach. It's got a harder flesh to it, but it's really nice. Called a mid-pride peach that ripens toward the end of June. So uh, this represents what we call successive ripening. So if you plant three or four peach trees, make sure that they're ripening at different times so that you know over the course of that six or eight weeks, you get four different types. Plus by keeping the trees small, you're getting, functionally you're getting less fruit. You know, a, a peach tree can easily be 30 feet tall and 20 feet wide, and that could make a thousand peaches easily. And what are you gonna do with a thousand peaches in a two week period. That becomes a, a in permaculture, we call that a pollution problem. <laughs> so by keeping the tree small, I have a perfectly pruned desert gold peach in the front yard and it's nine feet tall and it's got a diameter of probably nine feet. And I get a hundred, to 150 peaches off of that tree in a two week period, which is plenty. Really that amount of peaches is almost too much for two people. So I'm, you know, looking for neighbors and sharing with family and like that. And your, your harvest time is a lot faster because you're not having to move your ladder. You're not using long, you know, I don't know what they call them. Fruit pickers that's got the pole with the basket right, on the, the end. For, that yep. Half the time when you go get it, you end up, pulling off branches that come with it or something. Exactly. You, know, you can stand on the ground and work all the way around and harvest them very efficiently time-wise. Exactly. Hang tight. We'll be right back with Farmer Greg. Oh. 
continuing our conversation with Farmer Greg about deciduous fruit trees, planting them, maintaining them, caring for them. We talked about successive ripening, but uh, Farmer Greg, you've got slotted here uh, three ways to kill your fruit trees. Now, this is yeah. a warning. This isn't advice. <laughs> well, well it's this an is advice. advice against what not to do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And as you can imagine, in 22 years of a fruit tree program and educating literally tens of thousands of people, I get lots and lots of emails with pictures that say, what am I doing wrong here? And there is a consistent theme. Even today, I got an email from a lady and same problem, even with as much as I've been sharing. And those three things are planting in gravel or a hot microclimate, planting in grass and using drip irrigation on your trees. So let's start with the hot microclimate. And a microclimate, you can have many of those in your yard. You could have a warmer spot in your yard and a cooler spot. And one of the things that makes a space warmer is anything concrete. So block walls, sidewalks, that kind of stuff. That's going to hold on to the heat. Gravel. And our landscape professionals are notorious for planting landscapes, putting a poor plant in the landscape, putting one drip emitter right next to the trunk, and then raking gravel against it. Basically, what you just created is a solar oven. Now, don't get discouraged. I have a solution for every single one of these, but that is one of the big ways that people kill their trees is it's just too hot. It's just too hot. Second way to... A lot of the landscapers, like you were saying, you know, they, they'll put a drip emitter there. It'll be a small tree, and that's the end of their service. Yeah. A lot of them aren't maintenance guys that come back and move the drip line out and add more as the tree grows. You know, right. They're planting small. That's all the tree needs. Well, you've got to grow with the tree. Exactly. Well, and I'm really encouraging people to shift away from drip if they can. We'll talk about that in a minute. Second way to kill your fruit trees is plant them in a lawn. Now, I'm not saying that if you have a hot microclimate or that you, if you have a lawn that you can't plant trees, you absolutely can. We have solutions for that. But what I have found over and over again in the past 20 years is that lawns can and will outcompete your trees. The grass uses the nutrients and it basically chokes out the tree. I've taken dozens, probably hundreds of pictures around my neighborhood in the past 20 years of people doing just that. Um, And then the third way to kill your fruit trees is with drip irrigation, one single emitter. Fruit trees need to have a good deep long water and then they need to dry out in between. And a one gallon per hour drip emitter for 20 minutes, three times a week, isn't nearly enough water. So if you have drip irrigation, we have created a drip ring, which you can connect into your drip irrigation system that has 18 half gallon per hour emitters on it. So you're getting nine gallons per hour. And we encourage people to run that for a good six to eight hours, but less often. We need to be watering once a month in the winter and twice a month in the summer. And that freaks out people a little bit, but I didn't invent that. I grew up on a property 
that had flood irrigation and we got flood irrigation in the winter once a month. In spring, summer, and fall, we got it twice a month and the trees absolutely thrived there. So I just took that model and projected it forward. Uh, and when people actually buy fruit trees from our program, it comes with a piece of education that walks them through a whole watering methodology. But that is a watering methodology that you need to do. You need to get a good deep water in the entire basin uh, using either a bubbler or a hose or a drip ring. And that drip ring, you were saying, you know, it sometimes it could be more than six hours, which is what I've in my experience seemed that that's like the maximum time a sprinkler head will let you set it for. Mm -hmm. So to trick that you started at six o'clock in the morning and then the second run time is at 1201 and oh, the second run good. time, if you're trying to get 10 hours, then the second run time is only four hours, but four hours. You know, exactly. So if, cool. if it needs to be more than six hours, you just have to start it the second, the next start time right after the first one. Right. And there are ways to check to see that the water's getting deep enough. There's something called a soil probe. It's a metal probe that you, uh, three feet long normally, and you push it down in your basin and uh, it goes down as far as the water has gone down. So you can check for that or you can just really pay attention to the tree and see if the tree's um, suffering. You know, if, if the tree's a little wilty. Uh, here's the thing though. Overwatering, overwatering a tree and underwatering a tree, the damage looks the same. So often what happens is, is people will be watering their trees three times a week. And if it's getting enough water three times a week, it starts to droop. What, is, what's your, what are you automatically going to do? Add more water. <laughs> add more water, exactly. And then it'll droop more. And what are you going to do? You're going to add, add more, more water. water. <laughs> and before you know it, you have a dead tree. So that's why we need to let the tree um, dry out in between. That's really important. And that's the soil drying out. It, the, the roots have to breathe. You know, yes, we're, we're, exactly. The extra water is actually drowning the root system. So halfway that's exactly what happened. Halfway through our urban farm, urban orcharding with Farmer Greg this Saturday morning. More after this. Lemon tree, very pretty, and the lemon flowery sweet. Talking deciduous fruit trees with Farmer Greg, if you're looking at your home maintenance calendar that we publish annually and you're thinking, well, it was supposed to be backyard livestock in January. We have flipped January. Sometimes, you know, these calendars are printed months before the actual air date and scheduling and timing and guests, you know, sometimes change. We're talking in the deciduous fruit tree topic. We've gotten up to our talking point of the six, six rule. We've gone through three ways to kill your fruit tree. The 6-6 six, six rule that Greg's created is a good way to provide health and nutrition to your tree. Absolutely. So the 6-6 six, six rule, six foot diameter basin, six inches of woody mulch. So if you're in gravel or a really hot microclimate with dirt, you just rake back the gravel or rake back the dirt, put a, a border around it, six foot diameter away from the tree. And plant your tree in the middle and fill the basin with woody mulch. 
And what happens with the woody mulch is that the interface between the woody mulch and the dirt, it very quickly starts breaking down to absolutely amazing, incredible soil. It also acts like a sponge and holds water. And to a certain extent, it cools the space down. And we're going to talk a little more about cooling the space in a little while. And that's the solution for the hot microclimate. It's also the solution for the grass. So if you have a grass area that you're planting your trees in, you cut a disc out six foot diameter, six inches deep. I know that's a lot of work right up front, but it really, really works. Now, if you're panicking a little bit about your lawn, don't worry about that. What you're doing is cutting back the grass, knocking back the grass. You plant your tree in the middle. You put your six inches of woody mulch in the basin. And if you are on sprinklers, that's the wrong way to plant to water a tree. What the woody mulch does is it knocks back the grass for a year to let the tree get established. And then once the tree's established, you can let the grass grow back. So I'm not telling you to take your lawn out. I'm telling you to make a, make a place for your, your tree to thrive and get started. And then you can let the, grow gra the grass grow back later. Um, so that's my 6-6 six, six rule. And when you're planting your tree, we have to nutrify the soil. So if you dig a hole, plant a tree in the dirt that you have, good luck. <laughs> One component, and if you've listened to this show and me at all, you've heard this in Ignosium. This is the most important <laughs> thing that we can be doing is building healthy soil. There's five components of healthy soil. It's dirt, airspace, water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. And what you likely have where you're planting your fruit tree or any tree for that matter is dirt. So when you dig your hole, I'm going to have you dig a square hole, two feet by two feet by a foot deep. That's where you start. You take 40% of the material out of the hole, put it in a wheelbarrow, and you add two bags, usually takes about two bags for a standardized tree, of Farmer Greg's planting mix or some other kind of planting mix. That's the organic matter. And you mix it up in the wheelbarrow. Additionally, what we ask people to do is add three ounces of mycorrhiza, that's uh, soil life. It's a fungi that uh, connects to the roots and has the trees thrive better. Uh, three pounds of azomite, which is a micronutrient vitamin pill for your tree, and three pounds of worm castings. And you mix that all up in the wheelbarrow along with the dirt and the planting mix, then you plant your tree. So what we've just done is we've created an environment where there's healthy soil, because there's life in the soil, there's organic matter in the soil, you've fluffed it up so that the uh, you've got some airspace, the water can get in, and you have your dirt. And that is my solution for getting a tree successfully planted here in the desert that, that will likely thrive. And like we talked about last week when with Jay and uh, Ryan on roses and planting roses, and uh, it goes all things planting, oftentimes the problem is the holes are too deep. 
and the tree mm. settles and that, you know, the, the trunk and the collar where the roots meet ends up yes. below. You want it to be a little higher and that'll also help down the road in Greg's 6-6 six, six rule, yep. adding that mulch on it because you don't want any material up past the existing dirt line where the, the roots and the trunk are. That'll exactly. actually start creating uh, a disease. Right, it'll rot away the trunk. That's why I always say plant it on a mound in the middle and then add your basin around it, whether you're at ground level with grass cutting out a disc, you want to plant the tree up a little bit in the middle, or whether you're in gravel where you've raked it back, you plant the tree up a little bit. So plant high. There you go. You can always it, add it, dirt. It's hard exactly. to lift a tree up once it's already established when it's yes, too yes. low. Exactly. So that is uh, wraps up the planting side of our bullet points. Now you're talking about what to grow and when, and this is where it gets fun picking out the varieties. And yeah. you know, it's you, you want to pick out what you're going to eat. Exactly. I often get people asking me, "Well, what should I grow?" And I say to them, what do you like to eat? Remember me? I got 15 navel, navel or navel-like oranges in my yard. I love to eat that. I have one lemon. Well, one lemon tree is enough <laughs> for, for 15 navel orange trees. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So obviously citrus is one of the five C's of Arizona and citrus does really well here. So pick, you know, pick whatever citrus you like. I do have one caveat. If you're at uh, at a nursery or a big box store and you're looking at citrus and it says dwarf citrus on it, the dwarf citrus rootstocks do not like our desert soil. So you need to get a standard tree. You need to get a standard size tree and then you just prune them to the size that you want them. Citrus are super easy to do that on. And finding that uh, non-dwarf stock can be hard. I've been to nurseries where they don't eat all they have are dwarf. Mm -hmm. So you've got call ahead, call around, uh, find, call find us. a place, find, call the urban farm fruit tree program. Yep. Yeah. That's what, so the urban farm fruit tree program, I started 23 years ago uh, to educate people and then people can buy fruit trees from us and the citrus arrives in October. So we do education all year. The citrus arrives in October and the deciduous arrives in January. So we're actually open at the lot today. Uh, and you know, we do have leftover, uh, we do have leftover deciduous trees. Citrus was in the fall and you can come by and, uh, check out what we got. And run through a couple of those varieties. What, do, what fruit does well? I mean, obviously we know citrus does really well. Yeah. So apples, there's two varieties of apples and people often ask me, well, there's other varieties that may grow here, but they all ripen in the fall. And as uh, Gary mentioned earlier, got to get the fruit off of the tree by about July 1st. So if you're carrying apples over into the fall, you know, they'll never cooking, make it. <laughs> they'll never make it. Some of them might, but it's really hard on the tree. So Anna and Dorset golden apples, apricots. There's two kinds of apricots that do really well here. The Katie and the gold kissed. Then there's about a dozen kinds of peaches. My favorite one is the desert gold peach. We always bring in, I don't know, 300 of those a year or something. It's an amazing, amazing peach. There's about three or four different plums that go, go really well here. Uh, mulberries. We have two incredible mulberries that grow here. And yes, it's legal to plant them. They are female mulberries. 
the the rules in cities say no male mulberries because they are trying to eliminate the pollen. But these are female mulberries, the Pakistani mulberry and the dwarf black mulberry. The dwarf black mulberry is primarily a bush-like berry. It makes about a dime-sized fruit and it makes so many, you're not going to know what to do with them all. It is absolutely the most prolific berry that grows here. And that's the... The what? Blackberry? Dwarf black mulberry. Dwarf black mulberry. Okay. Yeah. And then grapes and figs and pomegranates and quince, if we can find them, and jujubes, if we can find them, all do really well here. I have a no list. Cherries are an absolute no-go. Cherries, it's a rootstock thing with them, and every single cherry I've ever planted, just, they die. So we can't even get cherry trees to grow here. Nectarines. And when you say here, we're talking desert floor, up in the mountains, young. Exactly. Flagstaff, that's a different story. That different story. I'm talking about low desert. And I know that the Arizona Cooperative Extension has a 35 to 6,500 foot elevation tree list that you can download off of the internet. That'll tell you if you are at the higher elevations, that's what you want to look at is their list to see what varieties will do well there. Uh, nectarines are a no-go here because of a thrip problem, thrip damage. Thrips are a bug that do damage to them. Generally, the only nut we can get growing here is pecans and pears are pretty much a no-go. They're uh, highly susceptible to something called fire blight and also, pears ripen in the fall. So, Going back to berries, blackberries mm-hmm. or blueberries? Blueberries require acidic soil and you grow them in a pot. We always bring in a couple dozen blueberries every year because people want to experiment with them. So people are marginally successful with them, but they have to be in a pot and out of the sun in the afternoon. Otherwise, they can cook. Uh, blackberries, boysenberries... Uh, Baba red berries, these are all berries that actually grow quite well here if you plant them and nurture them correctly per our recommendations. Well, I remember picking blackberries at uh, the Natural Bridge north of Payson. Oh, yes. Right? Had, yeah. I, I was there one day, and I could not believe my eyes, and everybody wasn't even touching them. And mm-hmm. I, grabbed, I grabbed a cup that I had, and I was picking like crazy. Right. Best pie you ever make. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the the dwarf black mulberries are like that, and they grow prolifically here in the low desert. And, yeah, they're an amazing berry. And you said that one, it more grows like a bush. The Pakistan mulberry, is that a a tall like a regular mulberry? It can be, but we highly recommend that people prune it so that it's shorter. So Because the Pakistani mulberry puts out a – two to three and a half inch berry that is, you know, it'll knock your socks off. It's amazing fruit. And then the one thing I wanted to mention on nuts, you'd said pecans, they do really well. Um, Mm -hmm. You just have to know that is a thirsty, thirsty tree. Nuts take two to three times more than any other tree variety we've talked about today. And you really see the talk about killing them on an ear, on a drip system. You, Mm. You would, I mean, when you see the growers, they're all flood irrigation. So just yeah. be aware of that. Pecans are beautiful trees, I think. Um, on There's some properties that have some beautiful 
you know, you're in an old citrus orchard. There's some areas in Mesa that are built into old pecan orchards that are just beautiful. Just know they are thirsty, thirsty trees. So yeah, you got to make exactly. sure you're prepared to uh, have that amount of water. We've got one final segment with Farmer Greg coming up. final segment here with Farmer Greg. And if this is the first time you've caught Farmer Greg on our program, or you're new to the program in general, he's got a pretty big goal of teaching uh, Arizona residents to grow their own food. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just we've seen supply chain disruption like no other this last couple years. Right. Um, We're very blessed that it hasn't affected a lot of our food supply. But, you know, should something happen, you know, shelves empty quick we've all seen that what would you do well go go to your backyard pick a couple apples <laughs> yeah figure out how to figure out how to grow our own man so there's and, several go ahead and and you know i'm the trucking and farming industries are both great industries but you know when we don't have to truck in food from hundreds of miles away as well mm-hmm. um you know that just it makes us that much more resilient out here in the desert Amen to that. And that is something we so need to be doing. And so that's, there's, that's what we're talking about here today, growing your <laughs> own. And we've been talking about fruit trees. And you've got uh, a couple factors for uh, for success. We've gone through a couple as it relates to the soil and the planting. Uh, but you've got a couple more here on selection, You know, making sure you're picking the right ones. Right. So first of all, if you're interested in getting absolutely a tree that works here in the low desert, just check out our program at fruittrees.org. We only bring in fruit trees that will work, that will thrive, and that will make fruit here. But if you're out and about and looking to buy some fruit trees, you see you're you know you're someplace. These are the three things that you need to know, and we already mentioned one of two of them actually. But number one is deciduous trees need to be low chill. We get about 300 hours of chill, and I recently saw a picture from one of the big box stores. It was a peach tree tag. When I looked the tree up because I didn't recognize the variety. When I looked the tree up, it required 700 hours of chill. And that was for sale here in Phoenix. Chill is anything under 39 degrees and we get about 300 hours. If you're planting that tree with 700 hours of chill, it will never make fruit. And I learned the hard way. It used to be called Price Club. And in 1990, I was at Price Club and we bought a peach tree and 20 years later, I took it out because it had never made a peach because it was the wrong tree for here. So chill hours is something really important. And that's that's a good point. It's not to say the tree won't grow. It may grow and do fine. It's exactly. just not going to produce. Exactly. Number two thing is make sure it's on the right rootstock. And we've vetted all the rootstocks in our program. And number three is make sure that you get the fruit off of the tree by the beginning of July. Otherwise, it's, it's just too hot for it. I want to say one more thing about the chill hours. A big problem with that is they just haven't figured out Western states. Where a lot of America's farming is, from one side of Iowa to the next, you may have an elevation change of three inches. You've got these rolling plains that go on from us. They can't grasp the concept of 6,000 feet elevation change in a 200-mile stretch. So they've got the southwest or the west as one zone. In reality, mm-hmm. they need to have a bunch of different micro zones for the mountain climates and the 
desert floors, you know, such extreme elevation changes, and they just haven't figured out how to deliver to box stores. They they can't think, okay, this one needs to go to Flagstaff, and this one needs yep. to go to Phoenix. It, it's exactly. just one big zone. So it's not that they're intentionally doing that. Maybe I was at a I was at a, a big box store a few years ago, and uh, I I looked at the tree there, and I said to the guy standing there, I said, this is ne- this is never going to make fruit here. And he says, yeah, we know. That's for people to take the flagstaff. <laughs> oh. So I want to touch on one other thing really quickly that's important. And that's the difference between light and heat. So people often ask me, full sun? But they're, they're missing the heat part. Really, is it full, full light? Yes, for fruit trees. Is it full heat? No. So what we're starting to coach people to do is plant your tree in the 6-6 basin. In the basin, I'm going to want you to plant either sweet potatoes. You get organic sweet potatoes at the grocery store or cow peas. We give away cow peas with our fruit tree program every year. And they grow and shade the ground, just like you're going to shade your house with a tree to keep it cooler. By planting sweet potatoes and cow peas around the base, we're shading the ground. That's going to keep it that much cooler. It's a green cover crop that way. And then the third thing that I want people to do is wrap the trunk. People have been known to paint the trunk as well. You can paint the trunk. I'm not a big fan of putting paint on trees. But if you just use a tree wrap to wrap the trunk, those three things are going to cool down the space that you're growing your trees in. Probably enough, even if you have a really hot microclimate, probably that's going to do it enough so that your trees are going to thrive. And when you're wrapping your tree, is that just like a burlap cloth loosely draped around? Yep. Yep. And you never want to put a wire around the tree, just, you know, uh, burlap cloth. We sell uh, tree wrap. It's just a white cloth thing that goes around it that eventually as the tree grows, it just grows off, you know, it breaks down off of the tree. I I use tree wrap on my ficus because it uh, has some damage, but I take it off during the winter because there's not a lot of heat and it loves it. There you go. So So we're wrapping up our uh, 2021 fruit tree program. People ordered trees in the fall and uh, we'll be open this weekend, next weekend and the following weekend. Uh, You can find out more information at fruittrees.org. We do have classes for people to take that are recorded if you want to learn how to grow fruit trees. And uh, we have extra fruit trees if you're interested in peaches or apricots or apples, grapes, berries, mulberries. We have extras of all those. We always bring in extras every And you can find Farmer Greg at urbanfarm.org. And we'll look forward to talking to you next month, talking backyard livestock. Thanks, Farmer Greg. Thank you. Always love being here.